Well, good morning to you all. Let's um, bow our heads before we look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created this space for us today, a space aside from everything else where we can just sit and hear about and talk about and think about your Word. Lord, I know that your Word never returns to you void. And I'm grateful for that. I pray, Lord, that your word would do a work in us today that would make us more like your son, Jesus. For your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our text for today is... Well, actually, there's no main text. We're going to be looking at a lot of proof texts instead... So I can't say like I usually do, please turn there now, um, but please turn up your hearing aid if you have one. And uh, here's another radical thing for a preacher to say, you won't need your Bibles <laughs> because we're going to be jumping around so much that you won't be able to keep up and I have put all the text up on the overhead for you to see anyway. So just sit back, don't relax, uh, pay attention and let's see where we go. So let me start with a question. Do you suffer from FOMO? No, that's not a new kind of frothy washing powder, but it is very bad at this time of the year, and pretty much everybody has it to some degree or another. And I'm sure that you will recognize your own symptoms when I explain what it is. And in case you don't already know, and that means that you aren't really cool, FOMO is an acronym that stands for Fear of Missing Out. And we live in FOMO land where we start to think like this. Oh no, John has a bigger boat than me. Or Mary is going to Rarotonga for Christmas to see the green flash, but I'm only going to Ekatahuna to see the dairy flushed. <laughs> well, that's a downer. They're definitely going to have more fun than me. I wish that I could have a bigger boat or a better holiday. Then I wouldn't be missing out. I'd definitely be a happy man. And of course there's a lot of encouraging help available because retailers are very keen on FOMO and they keep thinking up new FOMO events. So we have Boxing Day FOMO, Valentine's Day FOMO, Easter FOMO, Father Day's FOMO, Mother's Day FOMO, Labor Day FOMO, Queen's Birthday FOMO, more recently Black Friday FOMO. And then the mother of all FOMO days is of course next week Christmas which is so important that its particular FOMO pot starts to be stirred as early as October now. And then we have Facebook and the like. All our friends there seem to be having a, a more interesting, a more successful, a more glamorous life than us. Just look at the pictures they post. It's obvious. We must be doing something wrong, otherwise we too would have some cool pictures to post. And lastly... There is our oldest FOMO friend, the Briscoes lady. <laughs> now, I think she must have found the fountain of youth because we've been in New Zealand for 14 years now and she hasn't changed one bit. And that whole time though, she has never failed to instill in me the terror that if I miss this week's special, unique sale... I will never have the chance to have a new duvet on my bead at 50% off. 
If we are honest though, we will have to confess that although these various external forces may feed our FOMO, and usually are expressly designed to do just that, the truth is that humans have always had the built-in belief that they are missing out. Consider Adam and Eve. They had a pretty good back then. The Lord had provided everything for them, provision that anyone here would love to have. Imagine being able to see God and talk to him, to ask him all those questions that we have deep inside. What, Lord, is the meaning of life? How big is the universe? Why are women so difficult to understand? What would you give to actually hear those answers? I'd really like an answer to the last one, Lord. Adam and Eve had that privilege and more. The real estate business tells us that location is everything. Well, what address was ever more exclusive, more beautiful or better supplied with utilities and amenities than number one Garden of Eden, planet Earth? The first man and woman had a calling and a purpose to tend the garden and to subdue the earth. They had both God's protection and instruction. They knew for sure what were the right and wrong things to do. And finally they had each other. They were designed for one another. They did not know shame and so they were as intimate as it was possible for a man and woman to be. And yet, it still wasn't enough. In Genesis 3 we read these familiar words. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see what Satan did there? He didn't force Adam and Eve to disobey God. There was no arm twisting or torture. No, he merely appealed to the FOMO that was already there with pepper words. They were encouraged to be afraid of missing out on that knowledge of good and evil, to rationalise that what they would get would have to be better than what they had. They did not believe or understand that God had truly and wisely already given them everything necessary for a fulfilled and content life. And he wasn't just being mean or discriminatory for making some rules. And today we have not changed. As much as we may like to point fingers at the forces of the media and society for encouraging us to buy, to love and to do things that we don't really need to have or do, the truth is that the root of that tree is right inside us all along and we have its full ownership. James writes, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members you lust and do not have? You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. These desires that James writes about here can have many different shapes. Although today I have spoken mostly about a fear of missing out on bought things, the curse of our flesh can also find life in our feelings for another's house or 
position or even education. Pretty much anything can be a catalyst. It's important to recognise that we cannot afford to ignore any of its varieties because FOMO is much more than just a contemporary social phenomena, a kind of moral mobile smartphone meme sort of thing that older folk can't understand. Because when we act on it, it must be plainly named for what it is. Sin. And it's not just any kind of old sin, it's one that particularly angers God because it is a thing called idolatry. Because we're setting a made thing up for worship in place of Him. And if you're under any illusions about how God feels about that, we'll just do a search for the words abomination and idol together in the Bible. And you'll find them closely associated. Bear in mind that the dictionary definition of abomination is the feeling of extreme disgust and hatred, abhorrence, detestation. So if we say that we love God, how can we do such things to him? And although that's very bad, unfortunately that's not where it ends because FOMO not only causes offence towards God, but it can also be a thief of our good works. When it whispers to us that if we stop to do God's work, then we might miss out on some other amazing experience or emotion. For example, if God calls me to the mission field, I might think, will I ever be married? Will I maybe die before my time because of tropical disease? Will I ever have that quarter acre with a picket fence? Fear of missing out even eats at the root of salvation. If you can, think back to the time before you were a believer. What were some of the things that prevented you from making the leap to faith? Of course, there were those doubts about the truth of the Bible and those hard questions that don't really have satisfactory answers, like why does God allow suffering? But wasn't there also the thought that if you were to obey God's rules, then you wouldn't be able to do all the cool stuff that your mates were doing, like partying and sleeping around and so on. You'd miss out and you'd be the odd one out. Do you remember that holding you back? I do. I'm also certain that for the same reason, FOMO has a part to play in the aggression that we sometimes encounter from non-believers when we try to talk to them about Jesus. Don't tell me what to do. What they really mean is, don't try to make me miss out. Who would have thought that just the simple fear of missing out could cause so many problems? What can we do about them? Well, I believe we can start with our minds. In the same way that sin began in the Garden of Eden with lies, FOMO lives and moves and has its being in the very same deceptions. Principally, FOMO thrives on the lie that we have No time. No time to do all the great and wonderful things that might be experienced by a person in only three score and ten. And so we jolly well ought to get a move on and have a good time. Make a bucket list, check it twice, and then go on and find out what's naughty or nice. FOMO man is coming to town. But this is nonsense, both for those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and those who don't. Here's a text from 1 John to remind us of the truth. 
And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is just one of many scriptures that remind us that temporal life, that is life as we know it, life within time, is merely a beginning. When we repent of our sins and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, the reward is the restoration of the intended relationship between human and Creator. And that includes a shared physical relationship forever. Forever. So, doesn't it seem a bit silly to be anxiously doing all this stuff to try to fit it all in because we think we only have a short time left? When the truth is that there's an eternal certainty. Are you not entirely convinced? Well, let me try to come at this from another angle. God didn't just create us for a bit of sport, something to while the time away and then discard in favour of a new toy, like my wife does with handbags. Mm, I'm getting the death stare. How do we know this? In the creation account in Genesis 1, verse 31 says this. God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. God saw that everything he made was very good. Does that mean that the principal key performance indicator of manufacturing and design defects exceeded expectations at 98.5% and that tomorrow he tweaked the production line to make it better? No! When God makes something, it is always perfectly made, consistent with his will, his purposes and his character. Since it is so, it will always please him. He will always find it to be good because he is always good and he is pleased to have it around at all times. And this is why eternal life was one of his fundamental design parameters, his intention. When God made us the universe and everything, it wasn't intended to have a use-by date. It was intended to be forever, as God is forever. We were not made for a moment. We were made for eternity and to spend that eternity with him. But sadly, this is where it all turns to a very nasty kind of custard. While the eternal human service life remains unchanged, through our choice of sin or otherwise, the service venue may change, either heaven or hell. Through our own free will and choice, we can go either way, choose Christ and spend eternity in heaven or choose the world and sin and choose forever in hell instead. It's our choice and it is directly our consequences. Now by now I hope that you're getting the idea that there's both a bad kind of FOMO and a good kind of FOMO associated with this idea of not having enough time. The bad kind is, as I've said, having the mistaken idea that you only have 20 summers left of your life and so you'd better get on with partying or climbing Everest or whatever. And that's wrong because you have an eternal number of summers left. That's what you were designed for and that's what you definitely have. 
So the next time you feel the need to hurry on to the next marvelous purchase or the great experience, stop. Breathe. Pray. Think about how much the thing you are hurrying for will matter in the context of eternity. What are your motives for seeking it? Are they for the kingdom, for the glory of God? Because it is very okay to hurry up and do the Lord's work. Or are they for medium, for the glory of me? At some point in our lives we will all stand at a fork in the road. Picture that in your mind's eye. To your left lies a journey where you are really, really going to enjoy that eternity, that endless time. And this is where the good kind of FOMO comes in because if you have a fear of missing out on eternity in heaven, <laughs> well then you're in the right space. But on that right road, that other side of the fork, there's another kind of trip. One where you are really, really, really not going to like the destination. Hell is not at all the main party spot as is popularly held. Let's be clear, hell is a place of eternal torment. So where will FOMO lead you? To choose Christ and live or spurn him to suffer and die? What will you fear more? Missing out on God or missing out on bungee jumping? And that might seem to be an irreverent comparison, but I say I choose it deliberately because that's exactly the level that fear of missing out brings us to. Are our eyes here on the now, the exciting and awesome as bro? Or are our eyes fixed there on the future, on the long game with God? So, which one will you choose? Which one have you chosen? Which one is genuinely awesome? I don't know. I can't make that decision for you, but I can tell you with conviction what the only two alternatives are. And I beg of you, I beg of you to choose wisely. The next big lie that FOMO feeds from is this prevalent idea of personal freedom. The notion that everyone can do or think or say exactly what they feel like at any one time. Well, that's unless you happen to be a white baby boomer male heterosexual fundamentalist Christian, in which case your only freedom is to be a laughing stock with no opinion at all. And this modern freedom is a very nice idea, I agree. But in reality it has another name. It's called anarchy. And in case that's a new word for you, that means confusion and disorder and lack of obedience to an authority. And these are things that are not supposed to be encouraged in an orderly society and yet somehow they have become part of our society's next great idea. The fundamental concept of law is that as a society we all understand collectively that if everyone does what they like, when they like to do it, the only result will be chaos, anarchy. And therefore we have both individually and collectively made a reasoned decision to give away some of our personal freedoms to have our behaviour regulated by some laws so that we can live in an orderly way. We give away a little, but we gain back a lot. 
On the other hand, if we run down this seductive road of waving and saluting the freedom banner, we are going to find at its end only the rule of the jungle, where the strongest, the smartest, and the fastest rule over us. And believe me, their only interest is in themselves. I know. I come from Zimbabwe, and I've been in that jungle. So who do you think has the most, from gain, most to gain from promoting this idea of freedom? Do you think that God, who created a, an orderly universe with known and quantifiable laws at its heart, would seek chaos and anarchy? No, of course not. This must be the work of Satan, whatever God loves. He hates. If God loves order, then Satan earnestly and diligently seeks chaos. And of course it's not correct to say that Satan has placed this fear of missing out on us, because as we've already spoken about, it was there in the very first, in the very first man and woman. But he has appealed to it and used it from the very first. And look at what a giant score he made then. Why would we ever think that this is a strategy that he's put to one side? Of course not. What might, might have changed is the way that he uses it. And today I want to suggest that one idea is this, this thing about personal freedom. It's good to do anything or be anything you like because experience is what humanity is about and you shouldn't miss out on anything because it's your right. Where am I going with this? Well, it's because FOMO is not just about things, it's also about actions, how we make decisions about what is right or wrong for us to do in any given situation. And therefore we will always be asking the right question, who do we serve here when our fear of missing out is leading us towards an ultimately selfish act? And we should be asking that question at the highest level. And that means we should be asking, is it for God or is it for Satan? If I remove the silencer from my motorcycle and I ride it around without a helmet in the suburbs at three in the morning, because I like the noise, and I like the wind in my hair. Am I just having a bit of harmless fun? After all, boys will be boys. And I just needed to be free, officer. Or is there something a little bit more significant going on here? I don't believe God has any interest in waking up hundreds of people, or provoking any of them to thoughts of violence but his sworn enemy does. Now this is a fairly extreme example that's unlikely, or I hope it's unlikely for the people in this church, but it does expose the game that we're all players in and why we ought to be thinking about what we do more deeply. Are we actually being free, or is that really just a smokescreen for serving the interests of, fate, of Satan? Well, thus far, my sermon, I have to admit, has been a bit light on Scripture, and you might be forgiven for thinking that Dave has just abused the privilege of the pulpit today to deliver his personal opinions. Well, firstly, may I remind you that my opinions are always right. (laughs) Except that I am a white, baby boomer, male, heterosexual, fundamentalist Christian. So, exercise. Nothing delivered from this space has any truth at all unless it stands on the one and only source of absolute truth in the whole world. And that's the Bible. And I am firmly convinced and convicted of that. 
So what does God's revelation of himself have to say about FOMO? In case you're alarmed at this late in the stage in the sermon that I'm now going into a long dissection of something Greek, fear not. These scriptures need no explanation. They are very clear and very easy to understand and we're going to move through them very quickly. So, what does Jesus himself say about the need for speed? Well, we'll have a look at Luke 12 to start with. And, and I want to encourage you, if you've made notes, to go and have, have a look at the whole of Luke 12, right up to verse 48, because it's all very instructive and helpful. But I'll just give you one verse from it now, verse 15. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. I think that puts it pretty clearly. And then early in Luke 9 we can read this very well-known passage. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follows me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And here's the important bit. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? What is acting on the fear of missing out in the many, many worldly ways of doing that other than trying to save your life? As if deeds and experiences and possessions will matter to anyone after you've gone. And what if in doing so you might have had the profit of every single adventure and pleasure a person can have except for one. The only one that really matters and that is bending your knee to the Lord Jesus. Only that one will last. What will you say when you next have that FOMO feeling? When it clutches at your heart to grasp at this or that? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13. Or Philippians 4.19. Which isn't up there because I think everybody knows it. And my God shall supply what? All my needs according to? By? Jesus Christ. Now. All your needs. Once, but your needs. If we fear we will miss out on a reward because we haven't done or experienced this thing, read 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19 is what I'm going to quote, quote from, but again the whole chapter is worth reading. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, you might think that you're sitting here in this church that you're not rich. But you go home to a brick house with a nice roof, running water, electricity. You've probably had a good education. Just try some time looking up and seeing what percentage that puts you in of the world's population. I think you'll find 
that whatever your personal financial situation is now, you are rich. What about if you're a terminal case? That you have a really, really serious case of FOMO. Starve it. Leave Facebook. Leave Twitter. Turn off the TV. Throw away the magazines and the catalogues that tempt you. Is that too radical? What does Matthew 18 say? If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tuck it out. Cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. That's a very popular idea these days to have a bucket list, isn't it? Yeah. We must have a bucket list. Well, seeing as we have a need for a bucket list, I have prepared one for you. It has only have five things in it, and so it should be very easy to remember. One, do justly. Two, love mercy. Three, walk humbly with your God. Four, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. Number five, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that easy? In conclusion, I want to say that I wouldn't like anyone to leave here with the idea that the way to deal with this fear of missing out should either be paralysis or avoidance. That there's no point in trying anything hard or exciting. Well, that would be completely wrong of me. We do not want to fall into the trap of legalism. The Lord has given us five marvelous senses with good reason. He is delighted when we see, smell, touch and taste the very good work of his hands. It's just our motivation for doing so that we must question. Is it for the glory of God? Am I enjoying him? Or is it that I am afraid that I will miss out on my own glory and pleasure? Because one of those passes and one persists. Martin Luther said a very wise thing amongst a whole bunch of things and I'm going to leave you with this thought. I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all but whatever I have placed in God's hands that, that I still possess. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we find ourselves so easily seduced and led astray by the sphere of missing out. But truthfully, Lord, there is only one thing that's worth missing out, and that is the world. Lord, we need your Son and your salvation, and we need his heart and character within us so badly. I pray that the next time that we are 
tempted by the world to rush out and do this or that or buy whatever, that your Holy Spirit would use that small voice within us to remind us about what is really important. And whatever that is, to do that. Maybe, Lord, that means going and doing that thing. But when we do it, we do it for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.